Jesus, take those words and uh, work them into our hearts so that we become the kind of people for whom it is natural to reflect your image, reflect your love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see you. It is good to be with you here in person, those of you who are watching, those of you who are joining us on the podcast. Uh, so glad to be with you today. Uh, it's been about six months since I gave my last sermon here, and so um, uh, I'm a little rusty, uh, and there's a good chance this sermon will be terrible. <laughs> but I just want everyone's expectations to sort of be nice and low, so that when you leave here today, you can kind of go, eh, it wasn't that bad. All right, sort of sets me up for a win. Uh, and just so we're clear, like my family and I are still calling Bell Press home. In fact, we're usually over there every Sunday. So it's always fun when I run into someone uh, who says, wow, have you, welcome back. We haven't seen you in forever. I'm like, I'm right over there. <laughs> People, come on. Uh, I, want, I want to show you something fun. Um, how many of you know what this is? <laughs> Golf club, yes, No. <laughs> Although this could explain your game, couldn't it, sir? Uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, This is a selfie stick. What do you do with a selfie stick? You take selfies. Even the last six months, you guys have only gotten smarter. I'm so proud. This is amazing. Yes, you take selfies. Now, a a selfie, if you don't know what it is for some reason, a selfie is simply uh, um, a picture of yourself taken by yourself. That's it. And you usually share it on social media in some way. Uh, and sometimes worked up a little bit. Sometimes you have to take like 20, 30, 100 different versions of it to get the right one that is more flattering. I haven't done that. I've just heard the stories. Um, but uh, that's kind of what selfies are. And they're kind of everywhere, right? It sounds a little narcissistic, I'm sure. Which is why I had to borrow this selfie stick. <laughs> Obviously. I don't own a selfie stick. Because mine broke from overuse, but <laughs> they're everywhere. And pictures, pictures like I'm, what I'm going to show you, they're now part of our human story. Kind of not something really to celebrate. If you don't know what a selfie is, so here's an example of a selfie right there. Okay? Often you've got to make like those duck lips, they call them. Because it kind of makes your face appear more lean than it actually, maybe that's just me. But nevertheless, sort of like this. These things are everywhere. But, but. Even though they're more pervasive now in some ways, and we, we, we don't have to keep looking. I mean, it's, well, uh, even though they're more pervasive now, this really is a, a thing that's been part of human culture uh, forever. So think back to like kings and queens who commissioned someone to paint their picture in just such a way, just such a light, you know, kind of covering up the blemishes, making certain parts look smaller, certain other parts look bigger. Like this was something that's always been there. In fact, recently archaeologists have found a history, a picture all the way back to ancient Egypt of this happening. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. He's using a webcam. It still counts. It's still a selfie. So just, just so you know. This habit is not a new one. And though it's certainly been amplified because of social media, it's, it's, it's not a new thing. Of course, there's different kinds of selfies. There's the group selfie. <laughs> kind of in-your-face dogs, right? So great. There's those romantic selfies, you know, kind of you and your... Here's how you get those, by the way, how you get those pictures. <laughs> <coughs> Wish I had made that one. I'd be rich right now. 
Of course, there are selfie fails. A selfie fail is what happens when, for example, you might take a picture uh, of yourself, but you're standing too close to a large animal, and you end up with something like this. <laughs> right? That can happen. Careful out there. Here's what I think is interesting about selfies, and, and about the selfie stick in particular, which is really, a, truly a clever invention. If I hold my camera close to me, if I hold my camera close to me, and by the way, these are so cool because now you can actually make phone calls with these things. I don't know if you guys realize that. But um, if I just hold it here, that's sarcasm, by the way. If I just hold it here, really the only people who can be in the shot are, are me, right? It's just, it's just kind of me, and I take that picture. If I hold it out just a little bit further, I might be able to get like a couple people. Like I could get probably Scott in there, and I could. But if I put it on the selfie stick, right, and I kind of extend it out, kind of as far as it can go, and I can sort of like hit the, you know, the selfie button, and I can get it. We can get a lot of people in there, and we can take a picture, and, and there's a lot more people included, and here's why I'm talking about this ridiculous topic, this ridiculous idea of the selfie stick, because we are in this sermon series talking about healing a culture, movement to heal a culture, and the basic idea is this. Since the time of Jesus, there's been these two large movements that have spread the good news of Jesus widely, quickly, in such a way that huge numbers of people have become Christians, as Scott Dudley says, not by politics and not by the use of the sword. In the first case, the first followers of Jesus decided to live the Jesus way of life. And in so doing, it became very attractive to people around them, and, and things just spread like wildfire, well beyond they could have imagined. After a few hundred years and the eventual Christianizing of Rome, it, it, things started to fall apart, though, because it's kind of like the movement became a monument, sort of a tribute to the movement rather than much of a movement. And for the next thousand years or so, there seems like little evidence that kind of these big movements were going on. Obviously, God was still at work, but there wasn't a big movement like this. Then after the known world had become post-Christian, when it seemed like Christianity was just a thing of the past, something to sort of get nostalgic about, oh, what? Wasn't it great back then? The movement sparked, and it caught fire again because a relative handful of Jesus' disciples decided to live this Jesus way of life. It became attractive to many, and again, the news of Jesus spread quickly and widely. Fast forward to the present day, where we're at now, when in many ways, and for most people, Christianity either has a bad reputation, oh, those are the anti-people, those people don't like these people. They don't like these issues. They don't like these things. They're anti-everything. Or it's got sort of this nostalgia built into it. Like, wouldn't it be great if we just, you know, if things were the way they used to be? Then, then life would be great again. If we could just have things like that. How did we get here? How did we get into this post-Christian context that we're at? Well, in large part, we're here because this movement became a monument once again. It became a monument once again, a tribute to something more than a movement in many ways. So we again find ourselves here. But that's such great news. That's such exciting news. Because it means that the conditions today are perfect for a third movement of God's Holy Spirit being poured out in such a way that many, many, many would come to know him and trust him and make their lives home with them, with him. 
These are just the right conditions. And there's a lot of evidence, of course, that we talk about all the time that this is exactly what's happening, that this is exactly what God is inviting us into even now. And what we've been participating with him in for years here at Bell Press. Many special things are going on here. God is using this church in such a special way, along with many other churches on the east side and churches around the world, to further clarify what, what God's love really looks like through his people, without politics and without the use of the sword. There's a lot of evidence. This is, this is going on. God's at work, even right now, healing our culture, even our selfie culture. And we're invited in. So how then, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to make our lives in the way of Jesus, how do we join him in this? And the short answer is, we make more room in the picture for others. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the scripture we're looking at today, we see there's really only one response to God's invitation, and that's love. Love. In just the short passage that uh, was read today, um, the word love shows up 27 times in just 15 verses. Like, if you miss the point of what this is about, you're not really paying attention. It's about love. Love is what John most wants to communicate in this letter. But it's not a passive, fluffy, Valentine's Day card, card kind of love, right? It's this very powerful, transformational, culture-healing kind of love. It's a quality of love that is actually uniquely demonstrated in the way that Jesus' followers love each other. It's uniquely demonstrated in the way that God's followers love each other. That's why in verse 20, he talks about whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister is actually a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. In other words, you can't say you love God and not love your brother and sister. It's just, it doesn't work. Period. There's, there's no getting around it. The quality of love that John is talking about here is uniquely demonstrated in the way that Jesus' followers love each other. How we as followers of Jesus, then, love each other, it matters. It matters big time. It really matters how we love each other. Not because, wouldn't it be great if we just all got along? Wouldn't it be great if we were just a more friendly church? Yes, and yes, and this is an incredibly friendly church, actually. I've certainly been the recipient of your kindness and your affection. But it's not about that, says John. It's much, much bigger than that. Look with me at verse 12 again. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is making a radical Radical statement. This is a radical idea. A life-changing, mind-blowing, culture-healing kind of idea. God's love is made complete when followers of Jesus love each other. Huh? God's love is made complete when they embody the quality of love that Jesus himself demonstrated. Jesus, John is reiterating here what, what his gospel records earlier in the New Testament, in the book of John. In the, in the Gospel of John, there's this little scene where Jesus is talking to some of his disciples. He's getting them ready for, for his death and his resurrection. And they're all a little confused. So pretty much average day for his disciples, right? 
pretty much average day maybe for us. And Jesus is trying to explain the big picture here, guys. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you, you do know him, and you have seen him. And one of the disciples asked the question that I would probably ask, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus has this wonderful response. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What is God's heart like? It's like Jesus. How much does God love you? It's, it's like Jesus coming, suffering, dying, rising from the dead again for you, for me. That's what the Father's heart is like. This is what it's like. Jesus is making it clear. The perfect picture of what the love of the Father is like is right here in Jesus. That's what it's like. Which is why what John's saying back here in his letter is so profound and so potentially world-changing because he's saying that in the same way when Christians love each other, when they embody this quality of love, the Father's love is somehow made complete. The Father's love is somehow made complete. It is somehow fully embodied, fully fleshed out for others. When Christians love each other, the heart of the Father can be seen clearly. When Christians love each other, people who see that see the Father and are drawn to the Father. John's saying that we should love each other in such a way that we could say, along with Jesus, anyone who has seen us has seen the Father. Whoa. That's a big statement. That's exciting and terrifying. Anyone who has seen us has seen the Father? Basic idea is this. God looks like how we love. God looks like how we love. Ignore the grammar here, that's my bad, but I'm just trying to make the same point that John is. That to the world, to the rest of the world, who wants to know what the love of the Father is like, what is the heart of the Father like, they're looking at you and me. And based on that, they're drawing certain conclusions. The way that people come to know the heart of the Father is by how we love each other. And it's terrifying because we know how we're doing on that. Right? At least I know how I'm doing on it. And I'd say less than perfect is sort of a good way of putting it. How are we doing that as, as a church in our country, as the church in the world? We now live in a post-Christian uh, context so much because we just haven't loved each other well. Not necessarily because there's some new technology that has made certain things outdated. Not because there's some new philosophy or idea that's like, okay, we, this is better than what Jesus offered. No, largely we're in a, Christian, a post-Christian context because we have not loved each other well. Myself included. Instead, we have judged each other. We've gossiped about each other. We've driven denominational lines between each other. We've decided who's in and who's out based on disagreements we have over little pieces of Scripture we decided who's truly invited to the table, and that's caused big separation. By the, answer, by the way, the answer to that is, is everybody. We have not made the Father's heart clear to others because we have not loved each other well. And that's often why the church has become more of a monument than a movement. Now, it's okay to feel some grief over that, but there's also great joy here because, of course, the Father, the same Father, 
is still at work, as he always has been, as he always will be, bringing these things to life, bringing these movements back to life where we want him to, where we decide to join in with him. His plan will not fail. In fact, he's working it out right now in and among us. And his work in our community is creating a ripple effect in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, in other countries. He is in the process of making all things new. And we are invited into that process. And the way we begin is by loving each other. By loving each other. By fully embodying the Father's love just as Jesus did. Such that we, we could say, anyone who has seen us has seen the Father. You want to know what his love is like? You want to know what his heart is like? Look at us. Through intentionality, through self-sacrifice, through meeting each other's needs, listening to each other, through praying with each other, through laughing and crying with one another. Not so we become a closed community, just sort of making googly eyes at each other. Oh, I love you. No, I love you. Oh, I love you. If we could edit that out, that'd be great for the podcast. Not so we can become like that. That's not at all the Father's heart. But loving each other so those around us can see the Father more clearly. So they can trust him more fully. So they can come to make their home in him just as he longs to do with them. And to love like that, we need more space. We need more space in the frame of our lives. So here's two quick ideas. How I think we can join God's movement all the more in healing our culture. The first is this, quit something. Some of you are like, yep, I'll quit my job tomorrow. I'm done. I'm out. This is great. Preacher said so. Must be a word from the Lord. Here's what I mean. Loving takes time. Loving others takes time. It takes energy. It takes wholeheartedness, giving yourself to someone. Many of us are simply too busy to love as Jesus has called. I don't want you to like, feel guilty about that. Don't get, get down on that. It's just the reality of our lives, right? It's the reality of my life. We need more room so other people can fit in the picture, which is why I'm not asking you to add something to your already full calendar. Just like Scott said last week in the first part of this sermon series, we don't want you to do more things. We just want you to do the same things differently. And, and I'll bet there's probably a few things you could quit to make some more room, make some more space to share our lives with others. I'm not talking about big things. Don't quit your spouse or your kids right? Not God's will. I mean, quit something small, something that takes up a little bit of your time, a little bit of your energy, a little bit of your thought life. Quit something small so you've got more space for others to demonstrate God's love. Maybe there's that particular TV show you just binge watch. Like as soon as that next season is out, you're like, bam, I'm there. I'm on the couch for like days until it's done. What if you didn't this time? We just kind of quit that piece. Maybe it's Sports Center. You just got to know like every score from every team, from every different like athletic event in the whole world like tonight. What if you just press pause on that? I'm sorry. What if? Maybe it's worrying about a certain problem. Maybe you're like me and you, you can really get obsessed uh, by some challenge in your life, some difficulty. And you're just like worrying about it and you're anxious about it and you're praying about it. But it's almost like you're praying as another way of just worrying about it. I would suggest that God is giving you full permission today to quit worrying about that. He's got it. 
You want to pray about it? Good. Yes, join him in what he's doing. Great. Don't worry about it anymore. Author Bob Goff, who was with us uh, a few years back at Worship in the Park speaking, um, he makes it a habit to quit something every Thursday. I don't know why Thursday, but every Thursday, uh, the whole point being so he can have more room in his life for others, for loving each other. You don't have to wait till Thursday. You could actually do that today. You could do that sometime like before you leave this campus. You could quit something in order to make room for others. Yes, be thoughtful. Yes, be prayerful. But then pick something and just quit. Make more room in the frame for each other. That's the first quick idea. Second one is this. Make the first move. Make the first move. We love getting invitations, don't we? Invitations can make us feel important, can make us feel wanted. And even though we always answer maybe (laughs) to that invitation, I know because I've sent some to you people. Even though we tend to answer maybe, they're still nice to get, right? But extending an invitation, that's riskier. That's putting our hearts out there a little bit. Somebody might ignore it or just outright reject it or just might get lost in their to-do list of things. Making the move is more vulnerable, but it's also critical to loving each other the way that God loves us. Why? Because God first loved us. Because God made the first move. When we make the first move to love each other, we are embodying the love of the Father. We are demonstrating to the world who doesn't know him what the Father's heart is like when we make the first move. He risked everything to let us know we were invited. So if God demonstrated his love for us in this, that that he loved us even while we were still far away from him, had no idea about him, then we must do the same. We have to make that first move. So invite someone for coffee. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them to sit next to you in church. Invite them onto that service day you're going to. Invite invite them to some family event. God went first, so you can too. Make that first move. Quit something. Make the first move. Small ways in which we can enter into this incredible thing that God is up to in healing our culture. When there's only room in the picture for me, the picture is frankly a little bit boring. It's a little bit small, it's a little bit confined, it's a little bit like, yeah, whatever. This is Bob, who I just mentioned, Bob Goff, and Bob can't really take an uninteresting picture. He's always cute, whatever he's doing, but that's a, that's a picture, kind of a selfie of Bob, and, and it's interesting, it's, it's fine, it's like you can see he's got a big smile, but when you zoom out to include more of the picture, you see this is more of what's going on. This is the whole story. These are part of the kids that he's working with, that he and his team are, are building schools for these, these kids without without families, without futures. When we make room for others, zoom out, make a little more space for others, the story gets much more interesting. The quality of life that we are after starts to show up. This is the kind of adventure God has invited us into. And everything this picture represents, because some of them, this will will happen in our workplace, in our families. It will kind of look to the outside world pretty, uh, not very extraordinary, And yet it will be clearly a demonstration of the Father's heart because we have chosen to love each other. What good news it is that we are alive in this point of history. That God has invited us in at this point in history to be part of the way that he's healing the world. 
So Jesus, we say thank you for that. It's often been a confusing time to be alive. We have doubt and we have fear, and yet your perfect love drives out the fear. And while all of this is impossible to accomplish apart from you, with you, by your Holy Spirit that you have promised, that you have given us, we can love each other well. We can turn toward one another. We can create space even in our crazy schedules. God, as we do that, will we not be um, burdened by the idea? Would it not feel like, oh, one more thing I need to do? Would there be a spirit of playfulness about this? So that as we go to look at our calendars, as we go to um, look at our work days, our, our time with family, that we would approach it with, with your eyes of wonder and joy and delight and just creativity. Would we take you seriously in what you've offered us to be part of? Just as you have taken us seriously, that you, you took us seriously and you came after us long before we ever thought of you, God, would you help us then to make the first move? We do that one-on-one with you. We do that as a people. So we say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen.